أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم صلاة والسلام على شوف الأنبياء والمرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين Welcome everybody to another episode of the Safina podcast I know a lot of you were thinking that the Safina podcast is no more and nothing but facts has replaced it but you know this is the curveball that we throw to you guys um, here we are with another episode uh, sort of a solo episode sort of a conversation and uh, we're having a guest that is returning to us mashallah <laughs> dr yusuf so um last time dr yusuf was on we discussed the meaning of tawhid we discussed um the understanding of causation so uh, that's a very very important concept uh, in islam that's central to our iman um and today we're going to discuss also um our discussion is going to be centered around iman um and i want to start off with a really shocking statistic and i just want your reaction to it um dr yusuf so um in the uk they did a recent study uh, bbc published an article that less than half of the uk identify as christian now we're not talking about i mean we know friends that you know they call themselves christian but they don't really do anything right but they would at least identify themselves as christian um but uh now uh less than half even choose to identify as christian so like how does that make you react and then, and then also just to th- throw another curveball in there um i believe there was a study that was found that um there the number of people leaving islam are the same as the number of people coming into islam so we have this myth that you know islam is the fastest growing religion but actually a lot of people are leaving islam and obviously these numbers aren't diminishing because a lot of people are also coming into islam so how do we make sense of this that wh- why are people it seems to be abandoning religion left and right and uh, what do we what do we make of these statistics yeah these are interesting numbers actually and it it would be interesting if a similar uh, numbers would be done for quote unquote muslim countries mm-hmm. how it is in turkey how it is in uh, saudi arabia in iran these, these would be quite interesting statistics to look at. Uh, for a fact, I know what things are looking like in the streets uh, for Turkey, for example. Uh, it's it's not a good picture that's coming coming out of there. But uh, mm. as you said, this is not only the case for Islam, it's maybe more so for Christianity. So, uh, which should make us question uh, what is religion, why people are leaving religion or not even identifying with religion. Because as you said, it's an important thing to question what does it mean to identify with religion it seems as if it is just a boundary not even the core just saying that i am barely muslim or i'm barely christian not even saying that is what we are talking about here so yeah it's 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 an interesting question to ask and uh maybe which i i guess we can just count multiple reasons for that but in the bare surface what makes me think is, is it that religion is simply reduced to identity? So this was the last thing that people were clinging to. And then even this is getting low. Uh, it seems, yeah, a lot of people are leaving religion and they're moving towards, I guess, what we would classify as other forms of religion. Um, but today I want to talk about, like, why why do you think people are leaving religion? And why do you think a lot of Muslims are... Some of them are not losing, uh, some of them, at least the ones that I know, they aren't explicitly leaving the faith, but they are sort of lapsed 
Muslims, right? It's it's as if they've given up the practice of the faith. And um, so that's something very concerning. And even if they've not given up the practice of the faith, they've even if they do practice whatever they practice, it's severely compromised. And um, it seems as though, you know, they're just holding on to something very, very small. So um, can you identify some reasons for why why this is happening? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I guess multiple things can be said about this. But in the very first thing that comes to mind is how we reduce religion to simply a uh, pretty much like a cultural identity. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and actually, I would consider this a secularizing religion. Uh, if you're born into a Turkish family, born into a Bengali family, pretty much like you're a Bengali or Turk, you are Muslim. And even in many circumstances, your national identity is even more important than religious or this sort of the identity. And especially if you are living in a country like the United States, since these multiple cultures are all around the place, it just keeps changing and diminishing because you say that, well, they are nice people as well. They are like religion becomes just another culture. And uh, the other cultures seem to be cooler. Like they sound cool. They look cool from outside. And you are, especially for when it comes to being Muslim identity and it's being depicted as like some sort of a terrorist sort of an appearance. It's not even that seeming that cool either. So it looks like with this current climate of uh, willing to sound cool, appear cool, you just do not, do not choose it since it's one of the choices out there. It's not like the choice. It's not the mm. best choice. It's just a choice <clears throat> and not even a cool choice. I mm. guess simply reducing Islam to culture is the mm. first mistake and then uh, it just goes away from there. Mm. And then uh, something you mentioned about reducing Islam to culture, it's interesting that Muslims, a lot of Muslims in the United States, at least a lot of the activist ones, they they are concerned about the rights of Muslims, not as sort of a religious thing, but as sort of um, defending the rights of a minority culture, right? Or And and they even have this term Islamophobia, just like you have like racism against um, African-Americans. They sort of try to make some sort of racist, you know, if somebody hates Islam, it's sort of a racism towards a minority group, right? I think like, I mean, the intentions might be, um, you know, pure and valid for them, but yeah, I, I guess it sort of pushes this secularizing of the religion further, right? As if to say that Islam is just like one of the, one of the many minority groups and just one of the cultures. It has like a couple of types of Arab dishes and foods and types of clothing, but it's just a choice out of many, right? And it's like uh, putting things into, uh, taking things out of context and putting it into the wrong place. Mm. What I mean by that, for example, when Rasulullah migrated to Medina, uh, he was varying in a way different than Jews because a Muslim identity is a thing for sure. But it was built on top of something. It was Mm. not the thing by itself. Mm. Today, our identity is not sitting on top of anything. The identity is everything for us. Wow. And it's just a superficial thing. It doesn't have any, or I mean, mostly it doesn't have any inner, doesn't contain anything inside most of the time. It's just a shell. And then there are other shells which looks cooler. This mm. is why it's very easy to abandon since it's not sitting on top of anything. Right. Most right. Especially in a case where there's no cultural pressure 
or consequences to abandoning it. So, I mean, which yeah. is which is even interesting because uh, actually there's a big cultural pressure of uh, modern society, like the movies and everything, and mm. with social media, and then. Uh, even when the family tries to put some counter pressure, which happens a lot in the United States with uh, like the parents are the first generation immigrants and the kids are born in here. So the father says, oh, this is our way of doing things. And then the kid goes from the primary school, goes to American culture, gets exposed to that. And then simply father's uh, way of presenting religion is equal to oppression. Why is it our way? Why shall I do like that? God says so. So who is God? What is God? So none of those questions are answered, but it's simply like a symbol of oppression. And uh, interesting trends can be observed in countries like Saudi Arabia and uh, Iran, for example, where state right. is making this sort of a thing in more or less like oppression. Youth is exploding. And mm. uh which are maybe much more observable in Saudi Arabia nowadays and Iran, especially. So it's everywhere. It's everywhere, mm. but maybe just the speed is different depending on where you are mm. on Earth. Mm. And can you talk more about um, uh, like what you mean by secularizing religion? Is it just, do you mean that religion is just relegated to a specific sphere? Like you do certain type of rituals and then um, and the rest of life, like there's nothing relevant to it? Uh, yeah, what do you yeah, mean by it? It simply uh, gets reduced to some do's and don'ts. But why shall I do or not do things, for example, right? Hmm. And especially if you think about it, how uh, the revelation came to the messenger. So it was, uh, did did it start with uh, like the exterior appearance or it was, and it has always been uh, a way of living. But at the very beginning, it started coming with la ilaha illallah. This mm. was the message. And then for 13 years, this was the emphasis. La ilaha illallah, there is no mm. God, but Allah was the main message. Resurrection mm. after life was the main message. And then the prayer, paying back to my creator, has been there with Medina life. It started getting into the social circles and whatnot. And today we are starting to or trying to just start immediately with political sphere or how to appear and uh, just reducing it to shapes a lot. And also another thing is being that now that the religion is completed and codified over centuries for a person who is born into a Muslim environment, it simply becomes like, oh, what does it mean to be Muslim? This, 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 this. So there are a checklist of things to be done. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you have ever applied for visa, like German visa, for instance, yeah. So they come up with a checklist of these are the things you need to bring to the embassy to get the visa. And mm. I'm interested in getting the visa. And I don't really care about any of those checklists. All I care about is, well, where do I get this document? This place. Go to that place, get the document, just hand it over to the embassy. I'm very much focused on getting the uh, right. visa. That's all. So yeah. this is how it becomes for the religion also. It's mm. like, oh, would you, uh, you you want to go to paradise? Oh, yeah, yeah, I want to go to paradise. So do say, I believe in Allah. Say, uh, I believe in angels. I don't know what it means. I've never seen them and whatnot. Yeah, just put a check mark. Yeah, yeah, I, I say. I, I believe right. in prophet. So it simply becomes like lip service. Mm. Then religion is becoming this sort of a uh, laundry list of 
just put a check mark, put a check mark next, right. go next, go next. And if you're a little bit into questioning and or uh, anything just starts becoming too restrictive about religion and you start mm. saying, what what was the deal about these angels, for instance? Right, when right. You say, what was it about this uh, afterlife? Mm. It doesn't make sense. Sort of a question. Once it starts coming up, then this check mark, just putting check mark over there doesn't work anymore. And right, this is right. You start breaking up. Exactly. Up. It's like uh, the example you mentioned about the German visa. Once you realize, you know, you start suspecting maybe the agent that's um, telling me I need to provide all these things is just scamming me. And then yeah. you don't you don't care about the details of the checklist anymore. So, yeah. and I think a lot of people um, they are sort of taking that attitude towards um, towards religion. So, um, and especially when sometimes uh, religion becomes a tool for oppression in certain circumstances, it might mm-hmm. be uh, parents, or it might be the state. Right. Then people are just pushing away something that they really should push away. But mm-hmm. the problem in here is the ones who represent religion mm-hmm. is just uh, framing their oppression as religion. And then yeah. the youth is rightfully rejecting what should be rejected, which is oppression. Mm-hmm. But since religion comes in the plate of oppression, then the religion gets rejected. So right, right. Another reason that uh, people are right. pushing it away. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, just recently... Um, uh there was an example uh a very famous internet very controversial internet celebrity became muslim very controversial and there are a lot of people that really hated him right especially women and uh, i guess like because he became muslim now islam the name of islam got dragged into it and these people because as you're saying they have this sort of secularized sort of belief matters the checklist sort of understanding of religion they're like, well, this this person, if he enters Islam, then I'm leaving Islam, right? As if to like, um, as a, like I don't I don't know how to like I understand uh, why they're saying that, but I don't know how to make sense of it, right? That here's a person that I really hate, and he came into my identity, right? So it's it's almost like I'm a um I'm a Bengali, and this guy, this you know white person, let's say, and uh, obviously uh, Yusuf is also. Caucasian, so I'm not being racist here. So this white person is cosplaying as a Bengali. He's pretending to be a Bengali, and I hate this. So, you know, I. Uh, so this is is sort of the reaction that I'm seeing, right? Yeah. yeah so and, and it's it's being like uh, in some cases actually I can uh, empathize with people who are because of either their state oppression, quote unquote, Muslim state oppression. Mm-hmm. Or like some uh, Islamic politics being done in a way that has nothing to do with Islam other than the word mm-hmm. Islam in it. Or some parents' <clears throat> oppression and whatnot. I can empathize with those people because and I, I've gone through myself, not with the oppression version of it, but uh, just religion for me was in contrast to the science that I see in class. Mm-hmm. It was simply, uh, I believe in because I saw this is how it is for my parents. And it works to a certain extent, like for Mm. maybe up until secondary school, middle school ages, it's okay. Uh, Like for my daughter right now, three and a half years, uh, although still she asks, why don't we see God? Uh, There is a sort of questions. Well, I can find some uh, shortcut answers for her to Mm. the extent that she can understand for today, uh, which I can 
in a sense, summarized saying as Sunday school answers as mm -hmm. uh, people learn about them. But once you get into the school, then you start learning about science being quote unquote objective, and then you make experiments and learn and everything, right? right and right. then you fall into a huge contradiction. And the thing that you inherited from your parents is not working anymore. Right, right. I used to make this as an experiment at uh, MSA at Drexel back in the day. So there's this uh, Islam Awareness Week, and mm -hmm. uh, brother sister were opening a table in front of the dragon statue. Right, right. At the very center of the campus, right. Mm -hmm. So I was going there. They know me. I know them. But I was just uh, <laughs> making a role, saying that uh, when did you become Muslim? And the right. brother was saying that uh, I well, I was born Muslim. So I say no, no. When did you choose becoming a Muslim? So, <laughs> Uh, because simply Islam is something that I inherited from my parents. This is right. what it sounds like. Mm -hmm. But did, have you ever made a conscious choice? Because when you say, uh, I bear witness that there's no deity other than Allah, you're bearing witness to something. Right. Like your father saw something and you're bearing witness as you saw it. Well, you didn't see it. Your father saw it, right? Like if right, I say right. that exactly. uh, a crime has happened, and then I'm going and in the uh, my court, I'm bearing witness that this guy killed the other guy. And then they say, well, were you there? Did you see it? Exactly. So, no, but my father says so. So what, what would the judge tell to you? Like you're right, right. witnessing without seeing something. It's a lie, right? Mm -hmm. so it doesn't work. So a belief is not a hereditary in this sense. Mm -hmm. And actually, uh, maybe some Muslims will be criticizing some other religions for yeah. their religion being hereditary and whatnot. But I guess, honestly, I should ask myself, is my faith or belief, is it uh, I'm inheriting it from my parents? Mm -hmm. Or was it a personal choice? So if it is something inherited, it will be that much flimsy. Mm -hmm. But if it yeah. is your conviction, then it's going to be robust. Right, right. Another reason, I guess, uh, people are leaving religion because what I inherited in the face of what I studied day in, day out until high school, college, like how many years of education people are taking for high school, which is now the standard at least 12 years, mm -hmm. with another four year of college, 16 years of education, which tells you that there's no God. Yeah. Maybe not explicitly like this, but explicitly like this. Right. And then the only thing you know about your creator life and existence is your Sunday school education and what mm -hmm. your father tells you about God. So, of course, they, there's a perfect imbalance between them. Mm -hmm. So the, it's no surprise that it's pulling apart. It's it's huge imbalance. And if you think about it, um, even though the public schools or the uh, education system says nothing about God, Sometimes um, indifference or not even mentioning is a greater sort of um, a greater sort of attack on a concept than mentioning it or saying something against it, right? Yeah. And I remember uh, one time Dr. Shadi posted uh, something on his Facebook, and there was this um, there was this guy on the internet, like this internet atheist, and he responded by saying, "Hey, I went to school for twelve years, studied chemistry, physics, and biology." Not a single page mentioned the word God, right? And and this is like this is the subconscious sort of understanding you get, even even if the teacher isn't teaching you that. And um, it I, it could be a very very powerful argument, even though it makes no logical sense, but but it, emotionally it really is. Right? Yeah, like imagine imagine you are 
very carefully cooking a uh, something special now that mm. you're married for your right. wife, right? For the Shall anniversary, it. okay? <laughs> and then, uh, of course, you are like you paid a lot of attention and everything. Then I start describing, oh, how perfect this pie is. Look mm. at the cake. And I say, oh, this cake's taste is so good because it has this much of sugar in it. So I start <laughs> describing that cake right, right. angle, but mm-hmm. I attribute all the beauties to the cake itself. No mention of a doer or anything. So there's no right. nazmul in the picture. You did it, right? Yeah, That's right. Like metaphorically speaking for that yeah. example. But I'm not mentioning anything. All the focus is about how beautiful the ingredients are, why it's like it was cooked at this degree and everything right, right. there's no room no mention no nothing as if it is by itself uh getting this quality so there's mm. no mention so it simply means it happens by itself mm. that's what's happening with our day-to-day yeah. language of science so yeah no doubt in, in, in yeah. the classroom and that does, I think, greater harm than like even even uh, people that oppose God, right? Because at least opposition brings out uh, some type of like um, uh, importance to the concept that you're opposing, right? If the people are opposing the belief in God, then well, the belief in God must be something very important for you to investigate and find out about. But a complete indifference is something like in modern civilization, that's something like very, very sinister, which is, um, you know. And, and it's that really staying there because even when you say in your day-to-day language it rains right we say mm-hmm. it rains right is this a uh indifferent sentence or is it a biased sentence when you say it rains you're saying that well it rains by itself it's a right. thing right an, an action is happening there has to be mm-hmm. a doer right who is right. the doer well rain itself is coming down right right it, it implies mm-hmm. if it was oh god sent rain or it it is being sent. Like even in the yes. passive form, yes. it would make you search for something. But exactly. when you form the sentence as it rains or cell divides, uh-huh. Uh-huh. what divides? Cell is dividing by itself. Right. DNA replicates. DNA is the dual agent here, right? Right, right. It's, it's not uh, like neutral mm-hmm. at all. And this sort of language just starts taking over. Right. And it's so important that you mention language because sometimes liberals sometimes over criticize language. But in this case, I think just the, the language that we use, it removes the mystery from the world. So so like um, the 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 miraculous things that are happening right in front of your eyes are sometimes seen as completely like they're not even registered. Right. And um, and uh, the, the the notion that, for example, rain is being sent to you is something that just doesn't even register to some people. And yet, there are so many people in the modern world today that want to sort of believe something like that. So you'll see there are like these spirituality movements, right? And these all these different things um, uh, where people are like, okay, the universe is giving me these things or the universe is so on and so forth. Um, uh, but but that's the, that we should talk about that after a certain point that you you mentioned previously when we were talking, which is that one of the reasons is that people just present religion as just submission, right? There's no reason in religion. There's nothing. It's just like, you just got to submit and you just got to blindly follow. Um, yeah. So what's what's the problem with this? Yes, yes. So as if like religion is, I think, of faith and faith is just belief. You accept and you right. feel it. Like it's 
it sounds so so mystical, something up in the cloud, and you right. start getting some feelings once you just accept, although it is totally, even if it doesn't make any sense at all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and in general, this is what's being done for religion. And Islam is no exception for that, unfortunately. Let's say, uh, for Christianity, let's say, if you are talking about Trinity, and if they say, well, it's a mystery, you cannot understand mm-hmm. it, and you have to accept it, Right. I would say, well, yes, because it's a logical contradiction, and that's the only way for you to frame it. Good for you. I mean, yeah, this is I mean, if religion is my purpose of existence, and what I mean by that is, as Quran puts it, what's actually we should question this in the first place. Why am I here? Right. And uh, I mean, I, I like giving that example. If you were to just open up your eyes. In the, it's dark and you are in a car in the backseat of a car and <laughs> right. the car is just driving 120 miles right and right. it looks like it's driving uh, as they do those speed tests in desert yeah. it's just going super fast and uh, you woke up you were kidnapped you would be just terrorized who put me here how did i end up right here? Exactly. where is this car going and what like who, who kidnapped me sort of all those questions will yeah. pop up in your mind and just to make it a little more cartoonish, imagine there's a little bit of food put in in front of you. I mean, yeah. you wouldn't enjoy eating that food because you're so right. much terrorized. Are they making fun of me sort of a thing, right? This is how we are in this life. Mm. Like I, I opened my uh-huh. eyes and I found myself in this car called Earth, which is going super fast in this pitch dark space in a mm-hmm. certain direction, which I don't know where it is going. They put some food in front of me, and I'm pretending as if everything is okay. And right, I say, right. well, you only live one. Enjoy the food, right? So I should be asking, why am I here? What's my point in here, right? When mm. Prophet was asking such questions, he was said, read. So this is right. your purpose of life. So uh-huh. it looks like humans' purpose is learning. And it's not only, uh, I, I'm not only arguing this from a revelation point of view. Just compare animals and humans right right animals are born perfectly knowing what they are going to do in this life a mm. bee is born within a few hours start collecting or making honey right right or a horse is born and within a few hours starts walking and running mm. for a human like my son is almost one years old he's not able to walk yet so human mm. is meant to learn in this life so learning is our process mm. Mm. Which means you, by acquiring certain knowledge, you reach somewhere. When it comes to religion, which is now, my purpose of life is to get to know my creator, and religion is called this, and Mm. then you just tell me that, no, no, you don't need to do anything in terms of understanding and being convinced. Just accept and go. Mm. I see. Inhuman, I would say. I mean, forget about today's Mm. age. I mean, more so than ever in this age, questioning is all over the place. So maybe 200 years ago, if your faith in general, if Iman was not being challenged this much, maybe you could get away with this sort of an understanding. And by seeing some very pious sheikh-like person in front of you, you say, well, whatever this guy does is correct. So Mm -hmm. I rely on him and continue. Today, this is not the case anymore. Right. Because, right. Uh, 
we see all sorts of different people. Social media is everywhere. Questioning is everywhere. Religion is challenged more than ever. Mm-hmm. So in such an environment, saying presenting religion as accept and you're going to be good isn't would never work and is not working. So it's very right. obvious. <clears throat> right, right. And uh, it's it's uh, just accepting, you know, it reminds me of the evangelical Christians, right? That, you know, just accept uh, Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and, you know, attend attend uh, a rock band uh, church service and you're saved, right? You get into heaven. And um, I think it just, it takes away, people are very, very uh, scared, I guess, to, especially the leaders of certain religions, a lot of these religions, to to demand that a human being actually reflect and think and go through the the steps that the prophets themselves took, right? That the Prophet um, uh, he, Sallallahu he meditated for 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 a very long time in the cave of Hira, and um, th- these were the types of things that he was thinking about. You know, he was a very com- contemplative person. So there's a hadith I, I believe that uh, the Sahaba said that he was daim al huzn. So it translates to it's like he was always sad. Which uh, if that's not quite you know what the the thing is. It just means that he was in he had a deep gravity in which he was contemplating, which I think a lot of people are uncomfortable with today. They don't they don't want to contemplate. A lot of it is just running away. Which brings me to the the last point that you mentioned when we were talking about this previously is that the current civilization promotes all types of hedonism, and it's very easy to run away from our existential questions. And there's so many choices out there. So uh, how is this affecting why people are leaving the deen? Yes. Uh, it is being presented as if like, the joy is being presented visually with all the means like computer games or movies or advertisement or even a picture in Instagram. People mm. put their Instagram as if they enjoyed that so, so much, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, and you yearn for that joy, as if, if if I do this, I'm going to get the satisfaction, right? Human mm-hmm. is, and actually, this is pretty much human's uh, nature, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, we feel like, I mean, everybody likes joy. You like joy, I like joy. Yes, yeah. but we feel like the joy is in uh, those temporary things right in front of us, as if. If I put uh, one piece of baklava over here, we get the uh, feeling like as if, oh, if I tell you that don't eat this single baklava right now, I'm going to give you like 10 kilo of baklava one year later. Mm. So you feel like, no, no, I, I have to have it right now. This urgency of getting the joy, this is how human are. And uh, uh, this is how human are. We would like this joy. And it looks as if they would like to get this uh, joy immediately. So we are uh, being presented with that. But the mm. question is, uh, and especially especially when it comes to religion, religion seems to be the obstacle in front of that. Like uh, I was talking to a brother who actually was the first president of MSA at Drexel. So years later, we oh, had a wow. reunion, and uh, we were talking about that. And he said, do, do, I, do I know him? Any chance? Yeah, yeah, yeah bro, uh, brother Bilal Bakai. Oh, right, right. Yes, yes. Yeah. Good brother, mashallah. So, uh, mashallah, he's still very active in his community. So he said that they did some uh, retreat for high school kids. Mm-hmm. And at the, the last day of retreats, after like they had this wrap-up session, question and answer. And the first question that comes is, uh, 
does God exist? Mm. And he says, you know why they ask that question? I said, why? He says, because uh, if God does not exist, then this boy can have a girlfriend. Like this is the obstacle because God is wow. telling him not to go into this path. Right, so right. what's happening in this case is really, and uh, in, in our case, the slightest doubt becomes a proof if you would like to go with this hedonism or joys and everything. Right? Mm. Because uh, let's say you would like to have this fun and then religion is pre preventing you from doing that. Mm. Or maybe even you did something that religion prevents you. What happens is, let's say you are being lazy with your prayer, right? Mm. And uh, if you are lazy with your work tomorrow, what happens? You're going to be warned once, twice. Yeah, and fired. Right. You'll get fired, right? Right. You see the seriousness over there and the consequences. Yeah. And then, let's say you missed one prayer, you missed the second and the third prayer. Now you feel like, well, if God exists, and this is a thing that I must do, mm. then I'm in trouble. So God better not exist. So even wow. the slightest, uh, not even a proof, just a doubt, I will mm. cling to it as if it's a proof. So mm. those uh, sins, in a sense... Uh, and sin, the concept of sin comes into the picture with the religion, right? God right, right, right. tells you something to do or not to do. But then, if I'm not really convinced and it's very superficial and I'm already mm. very weak in this end, all right. those sins start working against me and the slightest doubt becomes my whole mm. so strong proof. And I right. said, well, just, and if I see, for example, any uh, Muslim sort of a personality who is famous with that and he does he or she does something wrong i say oh uh, this is the religion yeah so i mm. quickly take it as an evidence for me saying right. that look, this non-religious or atheist person is even ha having better values so right right you don't really need religion for mm -hmm. uh being good and then these are just being uh although has no practical value they become evidences yeah for people yeah. to uh live religion Oh, we we have a word for that. Uh, we call them copisms, right? To cope with our conscience. It seems like the conscience is very powerful. That we, it's a, at a fifth three level, at a at a instinctive level, we know sometimes we can see that we did something wrong, and so, like you said, that the that's a beautiful statement. Can you repeat that? The doubt, the um, the smallest uh, doubt becomes magnified to a proof. Yeah, yeah exactly. So it's like the. Uh, your small sin becomes even the smallest, like due to the sins that I do, yeah. I'm willing to say that God does not exist. And the right. smallest doubt or smallest doubt becomes an evidence right, for right. saying that, well, God does not exist or religion is not yeah, real yeah. Uh, sort of a thing. Yeah, it's uh, it reminds me of that verse in, uh, in the Quran our Allah SWT says, Balil insanu ala nafsihi basira. That, that human being really knows what he did, right? Like he's he's more aware of what he did. Like he, he doesn't really need anybody else to tell him. So uh, I think people, I think modern civilization, one of the things it does so well is it it preys on this instinctive feelings of, of guilt and, and, um, and like feeling at a person's purpose in life and then providing them with copisms Right, all these other options, you know, meditation, um, drugs, alcohol, whatever it may be, a certain type of lifestyle, chasing after money to uh, to redirect those 
to redirect those things and promise the person that this is the way to, you know, finally manage yourself, let's say. And anyone in it's being framed as freedom, like yeah, all those yeah. joys and everything is mm-hmm. being framed as freedom. And on the other side, religion is restrictive. Yeah. And yeah. especially with the, uh, some better presentation, it's even mm-hmm. oppression. Right. So right. then human has a tendency for freedom. Mm. I mean, actually, if you think about how the first revelation came in Meccan society, yeah, Rasulullah Sallam's message were free. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But today we take it as oppression, or it is right. the limiting of freedom. So, right. what is freedom here? It needs to be a proper question, right? So, mm-hmm. is hedonism or chasing the joy? Is it really freedom? So, mm. these sort of things. But as it is being framed, so since it's like super sugar coated and presented as freedom, of course, there's this tendency to uh, go after that. So it's understandable, right. unjustified, but perfectly understandable. Mm. So, I mean, we mentioned like, uh, we mentioned five things so far, like five main points why people are losing religion. And there, there's so many other things, so many other factors at play, but I feel like these, these five things are very important for us to discuss. So uh, I just, I just want to repeat them. So the first thing you mentioned was that uh, we sort of, treat religion as something secular, right? Just like another culture, another minority group, another clothes, a type of cloth that we can put on and put off, right? And I think that's a very, very modern development. Like even the use of the word religion, right, is to distinguish it from the secular, um, as if to say that the secular is the default, uh, which is which is very incorrect in our view. And the second thing you said is that um, a lot of the, matters of belief have just become taqlid in the technical definition, right? That it's just a sort of checklist. You just sort of do it because you need to get somewhere, but you don't really care about the contents of the checklist. So when the going gets tough or when doubts come into your mind, then the checklist and the destination itself is abandoned. Um, And the third thing you said was that uh, we tend to act as if Iman is hereditary. So if my father's religious, if my uh, cultures religious or whatever it may be, then somehow I'll inherit that iman, right? Without any work, but we saw we see that this is not the case, especially not the case in many of the Muslim youth um, that we've dealt with in our experience. And the last two things you mentioned was that uh, we present religion as something that you just have to submit. It's sort of a mystical thing. You don't need to do anything, and you know, and you don't need to understand it. You just accept it, and and you're good. And this is opposite to the way that the um, the contemplative, the reflective uh, process that the Quran encourages. And the last thing is that the current civilization obviously gives us so many options to indulge our guilt and um, our own conscience and uh, sort of chase after freedom. And this is less restrictive in our view than than what religion has to offer. So obviously people are going to choose fun over uh, talk about the nature of the world thinking about death you know this is very morbid stuff right like this is not stuff that we bring up at parties right so people call you party pooper Mm -hmm. so but in in the at at the end of the day um this is the purpose of our life right so the question is uh, what's the solution right clearly islam uh, we learn from the process some that uh, Islam is a religion of the end times that it's the guide at the end of time um, so surely there's something in the Quran that there's a solution for us right so uh, what what are your thoughts on that like uh, 
if it's not going to be taken as a cliche from beginning to end, Quran offers all solution. But mm. let's start where Quran starts from. Because mm. we don't we first need to question why am I here, as we were mentioning, right? What's my purpose mm. on, on here? And uh if I'm not going to go with the flow, and the flow is what? For example, we as we live in America, the flow is you go through uh, high school education and everything, then without even thinking, you go to college. And to go to college, you get a loan. And then after college, you need to pay this loan. In order to pay this loan, you need to get into a job. And of course, you need to buy a house with a loan and whatnot. So there's no time to think about anything, really. You just mm, go right, with the right. flow. And right. also doing this, you need to be like, you have Netflix you have right. social media and everything. So this becomes like a purposeless life, mm -hmm. but it's being framed as success is the goal. But what yeah. is success? Success is becoming what? Getting a better degree, getting a better... So this is sort of purpose of our life, defined yeah. by someone. We don't know. We don't even question who, but this is right. how to live the life. Right. At the end of the day, you die, you go into this grave, they put you into the pits and you're done. Mm -hmm. Is it? So... Honestly, I need to ask that question. What is, why am I here? Who kidnapped me and uh, put me in this car of earth, right? In this uh, super fast moving car. So Quran is saying, and this is the first revelation. It's very interesting that it's the first revelation. It says, read. So if, when you're asking such a question and somebody gives you the answer to read, Mm. And actually, Quran's answer is not only read, it is read in the name of your Lord. So it's mm. going to be uh, like misleading to say that the first command of Quran is read. First of right. command of Quran is read in the name of your Lord. Your Lord. Right. First command of Quran. So I should be shocked when I hear this saying that, well, yes, I was not able to make sense of this life. And now mm. you're telling me to read, but even you're inviting me to read in a certain way. Mm. Read in the name of your Lord. Do I have a Lord? I have to ask that question to myself. Do I have a Lord? Immediately, mm. the flip side of that question is, do I own myself? Who controls me? By control, who, like Lord means somebody who maintains you, right? Mm. Who, who maintains me? Right. Do I maintain myself? Does my genes maintain me? Mm -hmm. Does like the sun and the moon and the rain or whatever the foods, are these the thing that maintain me? So, these are very careful words that Quran is speaking to us with. Read in the name of your Lord. So when such a thing happens, what? How shall I read about that? So uh, an example. So examples are good to explain some phenomena, right? What does it mean to read in the name of your Lord? Right. As a concept. So let's throw an example over there. So uh, in the Middle Eastern culture, parents are a little rough, right? Yeah. So. Uh, Somebody from the Middle Eastern region told me this real life story. Uh -huh. uh, his elder brother was like, he just dropped out of high school without even saying to the father or parents. And uh, two weeks later, teacher calls family saying that your son is not coming to school. So mm -hmm. the problem is escalated to the father by mother. Mm -hmm. So nighttime, father comes home and mother says, your son is not going to school. Take care of the situation. So father says, come. And then says, what's up? What's wrong? So the boy said, well, the school sucks. I don't want to go to school. So father says, what are you going to do? Then he says, well, uh, I want to work there. I want to work with you in your company. Father says, no. Father-son relationship is a different thing. Go and work with your uncle. 
Uh-huh. So he goes to uh, very near his uncle, but mm-hmm. behind the scenes, the father sends message to the uncle, who is a, a mechanic for trucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, says, just treat him so roughly, curse him, throw wrenches at him, just <laughs> whatever horrible treatment you can do. Right? Wow. So uh, after one week, of course, the boy decides to go back to the school because he <laughs> says, I cannot take it. Right. <laughs> and uh, that person is a medical doctor now, a successful wow. doctor. Wow. Interesting. So if you read, read that story, like it's a real life, but if the boy was reading it in the name of uh, whom? Like the person who is working in this truck company yeah. who mistreated him, it's so ugly doesn't make any sense. Why do they treat me so bad, right? Right, right. If you, this is, of course, a metaphor, right? Mm-hmm. If you read the story in the name of his father, right. who was really the one acting there, the throwing of wrench is so meaningful. Cursing is so meaningful in this sense. Mm. Like, cursing is a bad thing, right? Right, it, right. It fits perfectly for that purpose. <laughs> right, it, right. Good job, right? So, reading... Somebody's name changes the total meaning. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So reading the creation or the universe, because creation is a biased word, so let's right. use an unbiased definition first. Reading the universe as it is, the existence that I live in, in the name of my Lord, my Lord, not the Lord, my Lord. Right. Means, oh, the one who makes me, who maintains me, is the one who maintains the sun, who is going to raise the sun tomorrow, who is going to... Uh, give the rain to me, who is also the one who creates war somewhere, who creates earthquakes somewhere. So reading the universe with the lens that my maker is the maker of everything as well. Read mm-hmm. it as such. This is purpose of your creation. So it's very important to keep yourself in the loop. Your mm-hmm. Lord portion keeps you in the loop as your Lord. So the one who acts in here, so who created everything? God created everything. No, your Lord created everything. Right, right. It's it's a personal deity. Yeah, because you observe the manifestation or the effects of that creator on you first and foremost. Right, right. Like a personal experience. When I tell you your mother, you you know your mother so well, right? Right, right. Because this personal relationship Mm -hmm. for however many years you know her, Mm -hmm. then my creator I should be knowing my creator more than anything, mm. then my creator is also the creator of Nazmo, is right. also the creator of the sun. So read everything happening around you, including what you would normally consider good or bad, like including somebody throwing a wrench to your head, mm. reading everything in your Lord who created as now, then you say, oh, this is how I'm going to make sense of the existence, how I'm going to make sense of the life. This is my purpose of life. Mm. Because uh, then the purpose of life becomes an education. This is an important part. I am here to learn my purpose. Because think of it like uh, your father sends you to college and you become a party boy. Mm. Your teacher says, look, your father sent you here to learn, not to become a party boy. Likewise, I am sent to this earth to learn. This is the purpose of my existence. This is the difference between me and a cow. Cows do not learn. They are not supposed to learn. Human is supposed to learn. Just by comparing animal and human, you don't need right. to do anything into the picture. Just compare human and animal. Right. And you see that well, the human thing here is meant to learn. 
this mm-hmm. is if you like our job description when right, right. when they were hired as a newborn into this world they're yeah. meant to learn how do i read this is where quran comes into the picture says you should read but read it in the name of your lord not mm-hmm. in the name of chance not in the name of oh this is natural law right like right. these are the alternative readings which we discussed in the uh, previous podcast i mm-hmm. forgot when we recorded that three four years ago or more <laughs> yeah but, i think almost two years subhanallah so but this reading in the name of your lord is really and this is how quran starts teaching us starts mm. speaking to us and then this is why i said if it's not going to be taken as a cliche from beginning to end quran is offering us solutions and just this the strength of this very first verse you can imagine how the rest is right right exactly and and there's a there's a special prophet in the quran uh salam who teaches us exactly how to read so uh, it's quite interesting that he gives us the formula with which to observe creation and ob- observe ourselves and um and uh you've you've actually you you can go ahead and mention this uh, this story yes yeah. so and prophets in the Quran are so beautiful examples. Like they are humans, they mm-hmm. lived among us, they went through that. Mm-hmm. So uh, saying that you're going to go through that as well. So yeah, exactly. Okay. And then teaching us with uh, in the best way. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ibrahim alayhi in this case, and uh, for all like those religions, we say they are Abrahamic faiths, right? Right, right. So Ibrahim alayhi is sort of the father of Tawheed, and. That's why he is being mentioned so much in Quran mm-hmm. in this sense. And his he has three uh, like ma- major stories in Quran. And Ibrahim Islam starts by his story starts with his uh, search and uh, looking at a moon, at a star initially, then at the moon, then at the sun, and saying that, oh, can this be my Lord? And, uh, and of course, this is being taken as... Uh, he's teaching his people and he says this is can this be my lord and the thing that he looks at sets and he says i love not those that set mm-hmm. it's yeah. very beautiful very beautiful the way it's being depicted here for two reasons one we can take it as uh like i am my lord must be someone who is with me 24 7 mm-hmm. because i am being maintained 24 7 it's not like uh, when i go to sleep uh, I just hibernate. No, still, I do survive with all my feelings, emotions, physical body and everything. Right? But star sets, moon sets, sun sets, yet I am being maintained. They cannot be my provider, mm-hmm. my sustainer. There's one way to take it. This is how Ibrahim says, this cannot be my creator. This cannot be my creator. And actually, this is being uh, formalized, uh, as we discussed before, uh, in Islam as La ilaha illa Allah La ilaha right. illa So what Ibrahim is teaching us in there is the La ilaha portion this cannot be God this cannot be God the negation part and it is very interesting it starts with negation mm. negating what cannot be my Lord and you are negating everything in this existence saying that sun cannot be the source of heat sun cannot mm-hmm. be the source of light sun cannot be the source of energy you just negate all of these, but still, I am being given energy, light, source, and everything. Where does this come from? Illa mm-hmm. Allah. Mm-hmm. So we need to apply this to anything that we encounter in life. Not like a super generalized umbrella thing, but just applying what we learn from Ibrahim one by one to every creation. Mm-hmm. Reading them, 
in the name of my Lord as they point to who my Lord is. Right, exactly. And, and not reading things for themselves or taking things for themselves, but to look at what they're pointing to, right? And one of the principles um, that we get from him is that, as you said, that the doer of something um, must have all the qualities necessary to make that thing happen. And so like when you, when you really study science and you're reading from the perspective of, you know, uh, then it's something amazing, right? It, it sparks curiosity instead of taking away sort of um, the mystery of the world. It, it even sparks greater curiosity with this type of reading. And almost, I would say that even the littlest things become a source of joy, right? So, um, but in the other reading, it's as if like you're you're stripping everything from from its meaning and just turning it into sort of dead stone. So, yeah. yeah. Subhanallah. It's, it's not. Uh, it's becoming meaningless. Uh huh. If if I read it in the name of like in in our previous example, if I try to read the scene in the name of the guy who throws the wrench at me or mm-hmm. the, the uncle who is not doing anything to prevent it. It simply like it feels like well this life sucks it doesn't mean anything exactly right? and this right. practically how people live to think about it today yeah yeah in our personal lives you go in the workplace start all those ego wars and then you have to pay a lot of bills and then maybe right. in your family life a lot of things are happening which doesn't make any sense mm-hmm. and you're just trying to navigate in there and that's why they say yeah. there's no life after college right. Because... Right, exactly. Well, they say there's no life after marriage. I don't think yeah. after college, right? So that's like so that's it, the modern thing, yeah. It just it just sucks. So mm-hmm. because we are trying to read it in the name of chance, as if things happen by chance by itself. But if I read it in the name of the one who creates me, things are different. Right, exactly. Today I was uh, listening to someone about Surah Yusuf. And uh, he was just mentioning how beautifully the surah is uh, structured, the story mm-hmm. structured there. Uh, the chapter starts with Yusuf Ali Salam seeing a dream, and the chapter concludes with the interpretation of the dream after he goes through several things. Right, right, right. So sometimes it takes time to understand that purpose, but in the com- completeness of the story, as you look at it from of your creator is speaking to you, things start making sense to you. But if I take it as independent things, or this this person mistreated me, that person is admiring me so much, or or, uh, a tree fell on my car, just out of the blue, and there's a war over there. All these are independent things in my life, Mm -hmm. then I cannot make any sense of it. I wouldn't even look for meaning in there, because Mm -hmm. they are so independent and nonsensical things happening all over the place, right? Mm -hmm. So this is why life becomes so uh, meaningless and pointless and you're just trying to navigate through this by yourself mm-hmm. if I do not read it in the name of my Lord and I then hedonism becomes my only way of getting out of this temporarily momentarily right, right. I'll just try to increase the joys here and there although just getting verse and verse over time but this seems to be the only option although Quran's option here is now comes and says no Read. Here is the answers. But reading in the name of the Lord who created and then gives examples to me from my own creation, right? And then as we were mentioning, with lives of messengers, navigates me through that, saying that I know how you're going to learn. Walk through those footsteps and you will learn. And in another case, again, with Ibrahim Salam's story, so 
uh, his people were idol worshippers. Well, this was in the ancient times. We don't worship mm-hmm. idols anymore. Do we? Well, actually, we do. So right. in Ibrahim Alayhisselam's case, they were people were thinking that certain idols were doing some stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And in our time, like my idol is, if I say, oh, Nazmul, you have this skin color. Oh, yeah, right. you're so smart. You will say, well, of course, because I am coming from such and such smart parents. And what do you expect me to have? What's mm-hmm. your skin color? I'm coming from Bengali friend, uh, mm-hmm. uh, pa- parents, right? Right, so right. As if DNA or your ancestors is your source of qualities. Right, right. Which is, well, maybe it's not a statue. Well, DNA, you can consider those a minute, like minute. Tiny. The, our idols are, you can no longer see them, but they're microscopic, right? Yeah, their their ideas and their ideas and uh, protein molecules and DNA and genetics. Yeah. So yeah, And you know what's so interesting is that the, there are actually people um, in the United States. They're they're called incels. So these people, they because let's say they've ha- been dealt a sort of um, bad hand in life. Maybe they're not as attractive, or maybe they're not as muscular as regular people. They, these are guys. So they've genetically concluded that there there's no absolutely no purpose for their existence because they cannot find a mate they cannot get married and there's nothing literally nothing they can do to improve themselves i know it sounds crazy but and these people they're incredibly bright and brilliant they're people these writing manifestos and doing research into genetics to prove to you that their life is meaningless right and then uh, subhanallah the, just recently i think i think it was last year there's this one person who went and shot up a school, right? And it's just this this last cry against the meaninglessness of his life that he will do something that it will at least make people remember him, even if it's in a horrible way. So it's a very dark sort of idol that to take, right? At least um, back in the day, if you took uh, you know Jupiter or somebody as an idol, you do something, you build a statue or something, right? But in this case, it's it's very very destructive. Yeah. And uh, we feel like, I don't know how our uh, people that listen to us would think about that. But yeah. Well, DNA, we, we do an experiment and it seems to be doing some job in right. understanding. Since we mentioned about this in the previous episode, I'm not going mm-hmm. to get into that here, but it's no different, practically no different. So yeah. let's, let's point to the previous uh, yeah. recording and not get into it here, but it's exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, but Ibrahim Islam in this case, again, as we were saying, what's the option that Quran offers, right? Mm-hmm. With all those seemingly stories, but they are your story, my story. 100% right. applies to us. And although uh, it sounds very like story-like, and mm-hmm. it's it's not using those heavy jargon that philosophy and science are using, it feels like, well, this is simple. It mm-hmm. is real. It is. Because what's happening with our scientific language is, uh, like some people use this heavy language to put some authority on you, right? And uh, you feel dumb if you don't understand those words, and you just give in, saying that well, if they say so, it must be true. Mm-hmm. No, not at all. Stating some facts, as I was initially giving the example of you making a pie, mm-hmm. just just perfectly describing where this uh, milk is coming from. Mm-hmm doesn't say anything about who did this right you did it because you were loving your wife exactly right for a purpose and you prepared it exactly the way she loves it because because there's this 
feelings being involved because you care. None of these are has anything to do with where this uh, milk came from. But mm-hmm. perfectly, you can give me the history of the number of cows and where they are breed, mm-hmm. what, where this milk is coming from. But it has nothing to do with the actual problem that you right. are concerned about. Why right. is this milk made? Why is this cake made? Mm-hmm. Who made this cake? It mm-hmm. doesn't tell any any of these. Yeah. And I think it just, it just completely misses the point, right? Like uh, there are some... Uh, a popular conception of religion is that religion is just ancient bad science, right? So people didn't know how thunder was happening. So they're like, oh, the, the God does it. Or um, I don't know, people die. They don't know why death is happening. So, okay, there's like angel of death or something like this, right? Uh, and what's so odd is that this is exactly like saying that um, that uh, so there you created a pie for your wife and this pie, well when you say oh he did it because he loved his wife no that's that's an irrelevant explanation right a better explanation is the pie is composed of milk this completely misses the point right and actually what we um what's so interesting is that if you look at the quran and even if you look at the bible a lot of it is not concerned with detailing or describing or finding patterns in nature this is not this is not at all the point of these books uh, it's it's talking about something completely different. The purpose of existence. Why does something exist at all? Uh, what's the correct way to live your life? How to face suffering, right? How to deal with death? What comes after death? So these are questions. What's the nature of being, right? What's the nature of our will? Uh, what's the nature of duty, of 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 virtue, of uh, good and evil? So these are questions that are completely. It's it's not in the same playing field as science at all. So. Uh, as people mention this, your Lord portion in first yeah. revelation, your Lord, right? Because that the word your is so important in there. Exactly, right. So, uh, let's change the example a little bit. You are bringing this rose to your wife. Mm. And uh, your wife's friend is a botanist and has a PhD in botany, right? Right. And then your wife is super happy because she received that rose. And the friend takes the rose and says, oh, this is Rosa something, something tells a Latin name of the rose mm-hmm. and starts talking about its genetics and its, I don't know, classification and everything. Right, right. Your wife says, are we crazy? Like, this is love. Mm-hmm. It's not even a rose. This is love in the shape of a rose. Right, it, right. It relates to me. Correct. Right. Once you put yourself in the equation, that rose means love, nothing more than that. Mm-hmm. But if you start talking about Rose for the sake of rose, mm-hmm. reading rose in the name of rose, you start speaking what that botanist friend would say. Yeah, yeah. But if you read the rose in the name of who brought it, mm-hmm. oh, Nazmul brought that rose, oh, then it means love. It right, right. Like all the rest is irrelevant for relative to you. That's why your right. Lord portion that your right. is so important. <clears throat> there. Mm. And I think this leads to. And I, something I wanted to really discuss, since this is um, uh, an episode really on Iman and why people are losing Iman. Um, so this type of belief or reading creation in the method of, in the Abrahamic way, let's say, using the Abrahamic equation, we have scientific equations and physicists and all these other things, but there's the Abrahamic equation that you've mentioned to us. So mm-hmm. if we read creation in this way, uh, what type of Iman do we have in our heart? And I think there's... There's a really nice statement that Imam Taftazani, rahimahullah, he says in his um, uh, uh, in his book on creed that he says that iman is the security and conviction that Allah gives to the heart of the believer 
after he chooses it. So can you can you tell us more about that? How does this feeling come about in the heart? If we look at creation through the formula of Ibrahim uh, Islam. Yes, yes. So uh, if I look at the creation on itself, like it rains or earth pools, gravity pools, this sort of thing, the world has so many gods in it. Everything mm. simply becomes a god. Right. And you yourself as Nazmul, I am Yusuf in here, even we are enemies of each other. And I have to maintain myself. So such an insecure environment. Mm -hmm. And this is why now I'm in the world in which only the fittest survive. So I have right. to be tough. Right. How long can you be tough? I started getting old, old Nazmul. Like I know you <laughs> almost 10 years, but now I'm getting uh, old. How, right. how, how long can I stay tough, right? So I am doomed in this case. Mm -hmm. But as I realize my truth, that my Lord is maintaining me, and my Lord is not only my Lord, it's also Nazmul's Lord. Right. Also the Lord of the sun. It's Lord of everything, right? So Iman is that source of security now. Mm -hmm. And this Iman is conviction. This conviction is, and as the word implies, it's security. And uh, as Imam Taftazani puts it, Iman is that security, but it is being put to the to my heart by my creator. It's also a very beautiful description. Right, it's, right. it's not that I am the agent or the owner of my Iman. I choose mm -hmm. to follow. And my creator puts that security in my heart. I'm mm -hmm. not even owner of my Iman. So it is such a beautiful, and it's a fact, it's my reality, but it's so beautiful. And it gives me that uh, peace and security uh, that I live in. Oh. And, uh, this is one side of the coin, though. Like, having this conviction is one side of the coin. At the beginning, we were talking about religion, right? Why people mm -hmm. are losing religion. So religion, where does yeah. religion come into the picture? Is it like simply, uh, you just, are we talking about some intellectual conclusions that you arrive and then that's it? Mm -hmm. That's not how it is. There's just one side of the coin. Because as you start getting to know your creator, your maker, what do you realize? Like if, as we said, if I have a Lord, or since I have a Lord, I am being maintained, what happens automatically? I am indebted. Right. Like I am being given. Constantly, mm -hmm. I am being given a life. Now mm -hmm. I am being given the ability to talk. Even I yeah. am being given the words that I talk with. Yeah. So What's, what's so interesting is that the word deen actually... It's it's incredible that you mentioned that because the word deen actually comes from dain, debt, yeah. right? So at the very foundation of religion is debt, the, the feeling of indebtedness. Exactly. And actually, because of that reason, if you don't feel indebtedness, mm. then talking about religion is just pointless. Mm. Like if, if I don't feel indebted to my creator and I say I'm a Muslim, I don't know what I'm talking about really in mm. this case. So... This indebtedness, what's on the other side of the coin? It is, uh, I'm entitled to right. comfortable life. Why? Like, where did you come up with this idea that you have to have a comfortable life? It, it says in the Geneva Conventions, right? It's the human <laughs> rights. Right? Yeah, yeah, human rights, right? So right. where did this come from? Right. Is it that I have to have air mm -hmm. or I am being given air, although... Nobody owes me anything. Mm -hmm. I should be thankful for that. So this indebtedness, and it comes with Iman. This indebtedness comes with Iman, mm -hmm. saying that, oh, I am being maintained 24-7 constantly. And this 
maintenance is not only simply like uh, as in like a warden in the uh, prison mm-hmm. just puts some food in front of you as a throbbing and says eat this and go to your way no right. very beautifully I am being presented with foods from the trees mm-hmm. and the water comes from the rain very in a merciful way drop by drop very beautiful presentation I do experience in this life mm-hmm. and look at the babies how beautifully they are being nurtured with the a mercy that goes to them through their mother. Mm-hmm. So how beautifully I'm being maintained in this life. So yes, I am indebted to the one who constantly maintains me. And again, as you are a human, how would you respond Like to my 11-month son? Right. I smile at him, he smiles back. This is right. human, right? This is yeah. human nature. Yeah. You just give something and you human reciprocates this. Right. So in this life, I am being maintained mercifully, nurtured mercifully 24-7. I am indebted. I would like to respond back. Mm -hmm. This is the immediate response I would like to do, right? And this is why you would say, I would put my forehead to the floor. I would prostrate in front of this creator. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and and it's like the the worship is wired into the indebtedness. That is, it's not possible to be indebted to somebody and just like sit there and sort of do nothing and not even acknowledge. I mean, this would be the greatest type of crime that if if somebody did a favor to you, especially a favor that you didn't even ask for, yet you still enjoy it. I mean, if we think about it, all of the 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 feelings of sweetness or the feelings of desire from anything that we desire even if it's your video games these are being created for you so it's you know there's some people um uh one question that really uh i thought about a lot was you know there's some people that hate their own existence right existence is a crime yet these people also enjoy the good things in existence like there's no way that somebody can say oh, you ate an ice cream you didn't like it right or you did something that you enjoyed, you listened to a record, whatever it is that people do to distract themselves, they got the enjoyment, and yet they don't own this enjoyment. It was created for them. So just by the virtue of them existing, it's the greatest sort of gift that they could ever have been given, because existence allows you to experience all the joys that you could possibly experience, especially the eternal joy of you know Jannah, inshallah. So so yeah, so like the basically what you're describing then is that the all the rituals that we have, especially in the Sharia, that these are the direct consequences of this indebtedness, of this gratitude towards the Creator, and you cannot have a type of worship if it's just you know just an intellectual belief and you just do nothing with it. Is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it yeah. it's it's not simply becoming like a uh, easy job that you do. It's right. something that you would do lovingly. Like mm-hmm. uh, when you go and hug your mother, mm-hmm. do you feel like, oh, some busy work I am doing or you do it right. enjoying it? Yeah. Because you feel indebted to your mother. Mm-hmm. There's just love that you have and you show your appreciation by hugging your mother. Yeah. So how about your relationship with your creator who gave your mother to you? How would mm-hmm. you show your appreciation? Mm-hmm. So this is why then the religion totally change its meaning it's not like as if i am uh just paying to my creator uh, as if i don't know in a very cold and uh, official way no it's right. something that you would do loving and mm-hmm. by enjoying mm-hmm. like you're hugging your mother 
Mm-hmm. And it's I think it gives joy, especially because, you know, just as a pen, you know, you use it properly for writing and it writes well, right? But if you make a pen do, I don't know, uh, use it as like a, a controller for a video game, it's not, it that's it doesn't do that well at all. So I think the human being was made to worship and it, when they're fulfilling that, job of worshiping they they feel well they do well they live longer i mean we have all these studies and we're not sort of making a utilitarian case for religion but it's obvious why because human beings were are doing something that they were created to do and it's it's true and it's natural right so at the end of the day yeah even a a very short life like this is super long and actually a short life like this is eternal yeah if you truly think about the meaning of what eternity means, mm-hmm. is that meaningful togetherness with mm-hmm. your creator stays with you. Mm. Like imagine this is what I used to experience when I used to play computer games back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was playing a strategy game. Yeah. And when I saved a strategy game, it was saving it with how many hours it's played. Right. Mm. Yeah. So uh, I was playing it for hours and hours. And when I click on this, save button it shows 11 hours i was feeling just so guilty saying that well 11 hours passed i felt something okay i was enjoying it but right now i have nothing in my hands no joy is left right and 11 hours is gone Mm. so remorse was staying with me but the joy has left has left you yeah but this is not the case if what stays with me because mm. for example your love with your mother i mean may i like you long left your mother i mean but even after your mother passes away that love stays with you it's mm. not something that departs that meaning of that joy of togetherness stays with you especially if you believe in afterlife meaning mm-hmm. belief in afterlife in this sense means she didn't uh, cease to exist she mm-hmm. exists that love and joy still exists and togetherness continues right. Right. And especially even if you can tie mm-hmm. your mother as manifestation of your creator's mercy, mm-hmm. my creator and his mercy is alive. And your togetherness with this mercy is always together. So it never ceases to exist. In this sense, uh, this Iman perspective and living that Iman through what we call as religion gives you a never-ending life. An eternal mm-hmm. experience is there for you. In, in in the here and now, in the here, here and now, now. exactly. Yeah. In contrast to what the hedonism, if we are going to mm-hmm. take it back to our previous conversation, right. it gives me this strategy gameplay for eleven hours. Mm-hmm. It was temporary, forgetting my purpose and worries and everything. But once I uh, close the computer, I am back to my reality mm. with remorse because eleven hours is wasted now. Right, right. No joy, and tomorrow. Yeah. I cannot play the same game anymore because now it's boring. I need to do one better game. You're describing a uh, uh, very, very common experiences that I've had. So it's very interesting. Um, yeah. So subhanAllah, that's, it's so true, right? Um, and it's, it's really because, uh, as we said, that we erect false gods for ourselves and, and we seek um, joy and meaning in th- things that um, they don't really give us the things that we need, but um, if we read through the name of our Lord, then uh, these these things come to us, right? As he, uh, as you described, that I think human beings do desire eternity, right? There's a part of us that definitely desires eternity. Um, so, Doctor Yusuf, we're, we're approaching time, so inshallah, 
I want to close this out, but um, what you said makes me want to read a passage from Nursi, uh, uh, which I usually always do in certain podcasts. So this passage that I'm going to close the podcast with, inshallah, um, he's talking about the verse where Ibrahim salam says, I do not like things that set. And so, um, when the, the, the star set, um, he said, I do not like the things that said. So here is um, Sheikh Nursi for us. So he says, It made me weep. The verse, I love not those that set, which was uttered by Abraham, salam, announces the universe's passing and death. The eyes of my heart wept at it, pouring out bitter teardrops. Each teardrop was sorely sad as the eyes of my heart wept. The verse causes others to weep, and as though weeps itself. The following lines in Persian are my teardrops. They're a sort of commentary on some words present within the divine word. And he writes a poem in Persian here that's translated. He says, A beloved who is hidden through setting is not beautiful. For those doomed to decline cannot be truly beautiful. They may not love, they may not be loved with the heart, which is created for eternal love and is the mirror of the eternally besotted one and should not be loved with it. A desired one who is doomed to be lost on setting, such a one is not worthy of the heart's attachment, the mind's preoccupation. He may not be the object of desires. He is not worthy of being regretted with the sorrow and grief that follows. So why should the heart worship such a one and be bound to him? One sought who is lost in ephemerality, I do not want such a thing, for I am ephemeral. I do not want one who is the same way. What should I do? A worshipped one who is buried in death, I shall not call him. I shall not seek refuge with him, for I am infinitely needy and impotent. One who is impotent, impotent can find no cure for my boundless ills. He can spread no salve on my eternal wounds. How can one who cannot save himself from death be an object of worship? Indeed, the reason, which is obsessed with externalities, cries out despairingly at seeing the deaths of the things it worships in the universe and the spirit which seeks for an eternal beloved, utters the cry, I love not those that set. I do not want separation. I do not desire separation. I cannot abide separation. Meetings followed immediately by separation are not worth grief and sorrow. They're not worthy of being longed for, for just as the passing of pleasure is pain, imagining the passing of pleasure is also pain. The works of all the metaphorical lovers, that is, the works of poetry on love, are all cries at the pain arising from imagining this passing. If you were to constrain the spirit of all the works of poetry, from each would flow these grievous cries. Thus, it is due to the pain and tribulations of those meetings, stained with transitoriness, those sorrowful, metaphorical loves, that my heart weeps and cries through the weeping of, I love not those that set. Found a very beautiful passage. Um, so much can be said about this passage, obviously, but I, I think it nicely summarizes what we were talking about. Um, do you have any uh, parting words for us? Yeah, so uh, if we were to very briefly put uh, five words on top of what we uh, mentioned at the beginning for five mm -hmm. issues, and mm -hmm. uh, just to summarize in this sense. Mm -hmm. So uh, we were talking about religion being secularized, right? So mm -hmm. how, how does Quran resolve that issue? So it now reframes life as uh, reading, the purpose of right. life reading, and then religion is becoming the way to teach me how to mm -hmm. read the creation. Right. And it was simply like a matter of checklists, mm -hmm. but now it becomes 
hundred percent conviction. It's, right. it's to go through that with investigation, as Ibrahim Ayyam's example shows, mm-hmm. and not only leaves it there, but uh, just nurtures those feelings in me so that it becomes a conversation with my creator. Mm-hmm. So Iman is seen as hereditary was one of the things we mentioned. No, not anymore. It is your own own conviction. Mm-hmm. So it becomes that gives you that security in this sense. And then uh, likewise, it's just submit and it's going to come. You don't think about it was how it was being presented. Mm-hmm. But uh, instead, no, it is that I confirm, I understand it is done witnessing actually. There's this mm-hmm. witnessing in there. You see, you confirm it. This is how Quran is presenting it. And then we talked about the hedonism being presented as freedom. Just the opposite. Hedonism mm-hmm. is uh, taking me, draining me by into this never-ending cycle of following for more joys. But mm-hmm. rather, with belief, uh, I reach this eternal satisfaction here and now when I'm living in this life. And even after life, it's an eternal paradise, but even it starts here and now in this moment. Mm. So all those problems are, as we were initially claiming, Quran is from beginning to end offering the solutions to those problems. Um, beautiful, beautiful summary of our discussion. Um, it's so true. And I'm going to just close off the podcast with one last quote, very short quote um, by the great Ibrahim Ibn Adham. Uh, he said that if the kings and their sons knew what we experience of spiritual pleasure and happiness, they would fight us for it with their swords. So thank you, Dr. Yusuf, um, for um, telling us all uh, about the this these beauties of Iman. Um, and we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he give us the, the pleasure, the spiritual pleasure and happiness that uh, Ibrahim ibn Adham Rahim Allah is mentioning in these words. So um, thank you, all of our listeners. I hope you all enjoyed the episode. And um, inshallah, we'll, uh, we'll be back with another really awesome episode, inshallah, in the future. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.